Monsters are real. And ghosts are real, too. They live inside us. And sometimes, they win. Stephen King Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Devin. And this week, the thrilling conclusion to our countdown of your favorite Stephen King novels on this episode of Books in the Freezer. So we're here. It's officially the top 10. Well, if we want to get technical, like the top nine, there's a tie for number nine, but it's 10 novels. We got a few surprises in here. There's some I am kind of surprised they're this high up on the list for sure. Yeah, um, I think we we alluded to this last episode, but this is definitely not the the top 10 I would have predicted. Um, there, there's a couple of ones, you know, you're all you all know was going to be on here, but probably not in the spot you expect. Yeah, we'll get to it when we get to the top three. There was a big jump in the number of votes just from the fourth most popular to the third most popular. And then it was like neck to neck. Um, This is one of those things where like if you didn't vote because, oh, I didn't vote for it because it was obviously going to get first, second or third. um, You probably cost it the top spot because... God, this was close for the top three. The difference between two and three was one vote. Okay. And how about one and two? It was five votes. So the total difference between one, two, and three, like all all together, was six votes cumulatively. So yeah, it was a really tight race for top three. And surprisingly, because again, one of them I'm very surprised is so high up specifically, I will say. It's like I knew that was a beloved book. I just didn't know it was like that beloved you know yeah exactly like it's a book i expected to be in the top 10 definitely but not as high as it was all right so are we done keeping people in suspense i think a recap is in order so number 14 we have dolores claiborne number 13 bag of bones number 12 carrie number 11 the girl who loved tom gordon number 10 needful thing without any further ado here's the top 10 as voted by you the listeners As Steph has already uh, informed you guys, uh, there has been a tie for the number nine spot. So technically, they're both number nine. Uh, First up, we have... If anyone ever asks you what panic is, now you can tell them. An emotional blank spot that leaves you feeling as if you've been sucking on a mouthful of pennies. Gerald's Game. What's Gerald's Game about? Gerald's Game is about a game of seduction that takes place between a husband and wife that goes horribly awry. When the husband dies, but the nightmare has just begun. It's one of the newer kind of titles from Stephen King that I wasn't overly familiar with, honestly, um, until the adaptation came out. But dear God, this was good. Yeah, if I, I don't think I voted, but if I would have voted, this would have been my pick. Like, I think so far, and it's hard to say because I have read 
some books in the top three that are are good, and I will admit that they are good. I loved Gerald's Game. This is another one where I haven't read the original book, but the concept of it is just incredible. It's it's so minimalist, but then there's so much play. It's such a good playground for like just psychological horror. Oh, this is, I think, psychological horror at its best. And I think I mentioned this. I don't know if I mentioned it with you or on the episode I did with Rachel, <laughs> but I remember a coworker was telling me that she was reading this and I asked her what it was about and I thought, that sounds stupid. Because <laughs> I was like, who wants to read a book about like nothing happening? Like it's just a person just stuck in a bed. Like really? For like hundreds of pages. Yeah. Why would I do that? But it's so much more than that. And that is why, as mentioned in the last episode, um, this is Stephanie's father's pick. <laughs> well, he and my mom watched the movie recently and they thought it was really good you know it's very tense a lot of suspense and uh, when i mentioned that it was a stephen king book he's like oh yeah put my vote down for that one then (laughs) that was great (laughs) yeah jesse is just such a great protagonist and there's so much great back and forth with what's going on to her in the moment you know with her being in the situation where she is handcuffed to a bed and her husband has died and they are in a remote cabin and no one can hear her and what she has to deal with like she has to reconcile some things from her past so this book does have a lot of sensitive material that i think if you are someone who has had some sexual trauma in your past you might just want to be aware of that maybe before you pick this up i just like could not put this down i just thought he did such a great job with everything in this this is firmly in my favorites for Stephen King, for sure. And I'm so happy it is in the top 10. I was kind of worried uh, that it wasn't going to rank very high, but I, I was so excited <laughs> when I was tallying up. I'm like, yes, it's getting its proper love. Yeah, this one this one I kind of assumed would be high-ish on the list, mainly because, well, I'm sure in, in a part of it is because it is in, in the mindset right now. Because, you know, anything with a recent adaptation is going to get a lot more attention. It's going to get a lot more buzz. Um, So I did kind of expect it to kind of chart high because I imagine people that didn't know about it saw the adaptation, would go back, read the book, and then, you know, it would be there. But, um, yeah, the praise I hear about it is is endless. Um, I don't know of any avid reader that has had negative things to say about Gerald's game. So totally, totally intrigued by this one. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, we are, of course, talking about the michael flanagan adaptation that came out a few years ago if you watch the haunting of hill house netflix show you'll see a lot of the same actors being used in the projects which was kind of a fun easter egg if you can say it's an easter egg it's just like you know directors like to use the same actors if they have a good experience with them so you'll notice some familiar faces i mean kate siegel is his wife like she's gonna be in his movies our other number nine life turns on a dime Sometimes towards us, but more often it spins away, flirting and flashing as it goes. So long, honey. It was good while it lasted, wasn't it? Hi guys, it's Laura, longtime menace to the podcast. So I just want to speak up for 112263 because I think the fact that I've read Stephen King for 20 plus years and I would even consider... Um, One of his more recent works, my favorite over some of the ones from the past, means a lot. Um, It's a pretty simple story. I think you could make the argument that it's not horror, but I don't believe in obsessing over distinctions like that. Um, 
It is just a very entertaining time travel story, and I really love it. 11-22-63. Yay. It's the second biggest surprise for me. Really? To be in the top 10. I would say this is the book that like non-horror fans pick up by King. Yes. Like Laura says, it's it's not necessarily horror, but this is just a, a well-done Stephen King novel. Uh, really well done. It will appeal to just the mass, you know, literary audience more so than the the diehard schlocky horror folk. At least that's my perspective on things. But what is it about? This is about Jake Epping, who is a high school English teacher in Lisbon Falls, Maine, who comes across some bizarre secrets uh, when it comes to light that his friend Al, the owner of the local diner, wants to enlist him to take over a mission that has become his obsession to prevent the Kennedy assassination. How? By stepping through a portal in the diner's storeroom, of course. And into the era of Ike and Elvis, and of big American cars, sock hops, and cigarette smoke. Finding himself in warm-hearted Jody, Texas, Jake begins a new life. But all turns in the road lead to a troubled loner named Lee Harvey Oswald. The course of history is about to be rewritten and become heart-stoppingly suspenseful. That's a deceptive tongue twister. (laughs) But all turns in the road lead to a troubled loner. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't look like a tongue twister until you try and read it. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, this one, my my initial impression of this book when I first saw it in a bookstore is, holy God, that thing is huge. Yeah, that's kind of still my my thoughts. When I, when I see is... a physical copy, I'm like, oh, my. Or I browse how long the audiobook is when I'm going through Libby, and I'm like, oh, man, yeah. that is a, that is a commitment. Okay. Yeah, this is what uh what Brandon Sanderson would call a Chihuahua killer. I'm pretty sure, but that doesn't take away from the the quality of the story. Um, it means that it would be very difficult for me to get through it because this book would probably be like a three month commitment for me. I'm a very slow reader, but yeah, again, like my understanding of of the plot, um, hearing the people talk about it and, and telling me their opinions and such, um, it does feel like it's more of um more dramatic and supernatural-esque than than horror which again we're not we're not counting down the top scary Stephen King novels we're talking about the favorites and this one got a lot of a lot of support yeah mark from the goodreads group says 112263 was his best most immersive book the book was a journey that spanned time and space, and you felt like you lived a lifetime with these fully formed characters. I mourned, I felt the highest joys, and the most extreme stress and worry in this book. It is a book that will take over your life. And uh, Laura, um, as a supplement, as a supplement to her, op- as a clip you heard um, moments ago, also added that he originally had the idea for this decades ago but only felt he was good enough and informed enough to do the research and write it just recently. She also says, we stand a storyteller who is realistic about his memes. You have to do it with clap emojis. We stand a storyteller. I'm okay with the support and the praise for the man and his respect for the source material and the um, the, the respect he gave the, the topic matter, but I will never use stand that way in a sentence i'm sorry i'm way too old i'm out of touch with the kids these days your age so i'm just an old man i'm a cranky old man and of course there was the 
adaptation that came out a few years ago, the miniseries on Hulu starring James Franco as Jake Epping. Did you watch it? I did not know it existed. What? Isn't that with James Franco? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, came out, like, I want to say... 2015 2016 i'll be back in i'll be back in like six hours to finish the episode okay i for some reason never finished it but i started it and i remember enjoying it does that ever happen to you where i'm like i watched two episodes of that it was good for some reason i just never went back to it yeah i've had that with movies before well like none come to mind now but i've had that with movies before where it's like you know what i remember telling somebody how good a movie this was but i don't remember the movie but i must have liked it yeah I think maybe I didn't want to finish it because I had it in my mind that I was going to read the book. I'm like, oh, this is really good. I'm definitely going to read the book and then come back to this. And then you saw the tome. Yeah. And then I looked at it and I was like, oh, boy, that is a <laughs> wow. I will eventually get to 11.22.63. That is on my list. Yeah. Which brings us to our number eight. It's hard to let go. Even when what you're holding on to is full of thorns, it's hard to let go. Maybe especially then. This is Joyland. Okay, this is one I was surprised to see in like the top 10. <laughs> this is the biggest surprise I think on this list. For me, for sure. I think on like one hand I get it because it is so very full of nostalgia, which is something Stephen King is very good at. And it's literally someone like looking back at a eventful summer in their life. But it's very different, I think from his books and i just like did not expect it to be here <laughs> oh but we didn't say what joyland was about set in a small town north carolina amusement park in 1973 joyland tells the story of the summer in which a college student devin jones comes to work as a carney and confronts the legacy of a vicious murder the fate of a dying child and ways both will change his life forever the main character is devin how did i not read this yet I don't know. Wow. I didn't. Uh, but yeah, like this one, I feel like just came out of nowhere in terms of like, okay, maybe, maybe lower on the list. It could be a bit of a surprise. Oh, okay. People, people like this book, but to be number eight in the top 10, that's, I, I'm lost for words. Yeah. It's got, like I said, the, the nostalgia and it's very lovingly written nostalgia. I remember when I read it, I noticed that. And it's got, of course, the carnival atmosphere and I would say like a very light supernatural element at the end. But other than that, I would say it's much more like a noir type story, like a mystery. I guess it was published by Hard Case Crime. But yeah, there seems to be a lot of love for Joyland. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit this, this book was absolutely nowhere near my Stephen King radar for books that I, I want to pick up. I want to get to. I feel like I should have read, but clearly there's something there that I did not know until now. Thanks to the listeners of Books in the Freezer, this one is moving up the list fairly rapidly, especially when I'm looking on Amazon and it's available in Kindle, audiobook, hardcover, paperback, mass market paperback, audio CD, and there's a CD ROM option. A CD ROM? Yeah. <laughs> In Polish, a CD-ROM audiobook. Okay. <laughs> Which is weird. I almost want to buy it just to see what it is. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Again, th this is the surprise of the entire list. Kudos to Joyland. I mean, there's another one that I was uh, surprised at. <laughs> um, not, not in the same way. No, yeah. This one's the biggest surprise that it's on the list so far up. The other one, we'll, we'll get to. <laughs> All right. 
number seven. I am your number one fan. It's Misery, baby! Misery. Now, this one is kind of where I expected it to be. Like, yeah. middle of the top ten somewhere. Oh, man. Annie Wilkes. I, what what can, what more can I say with Annie Wilkes that no one has already said? Paul Sheldon. He's a best-selling novelist who has finally met his biggest fan. Her name is Annie Wilkes. And she is more than a rabid reader. She is Paul's nurse, tending to his shattered body after an automobile accident. But she is also his captor keeping him prisoner in her isolated house as far as antagonists go in horror she's definitely top 10 just for being crazy i don't i'm not i'm, I'm i can't be articulate with this it's she is the the fangirl of all fangirls yeah she she is what people fear when they you know have fans on the internet or viewers on the internet or, or listeners on the internet is she toxic reddit culture Pretty much. Before there was a Reddit, she she was 4chan before there was 4chan. Yeah. And then again, this, to, to briefly talk about, you have Kathy Bates playing her in the adaptation. And oh my God, that was such a masterful role. Just brought it to life. Now, Regina from the Goodreads group said, Misery. It was so claustrophobic. These two characters playing cat and mouse in such a confined space. Best actress in a leading role, Oscar baby, 1991. So there you go. So Annie Wilkes is the role that actually got Kathy Bates, the best actress, Oscar. Abby from the Goodreads group says, I also absolutely love Misery. I'd seen the film before I'd read it. And having the chapters of the book Paul is forced to write added so much for me. That may be a controversial opinion. Have you seen that viral video where that woman is cosplaying at Annie Wilkes and she's like yelling at a, a bookstore employee about why they don't have the Misery books by Paul Sheldon? Yes. I've had that shared by family members who are like, people these days are so entitled. Yes, that's what I was about to say. Every time I've ever seen that video pop up, it's people saying, okay, this, what is wrong with this woman? Like, oh my God, like she's (laughs) absolutely insane. Just chill. She was literally doing marketing for a production of Misery. It was advertising. That's all that was. Relax. But she does it. She does it so well. Oh my God, she does it so well. I love that. Yeah. I'm like, she committed to the role. But yeah, so getting back to the story at hand, um, this is this is definitively King. This is very minimal. This is two people alone in a cabin for pretty much the entire book. And it's just dialogue back and forth and just in very uncomfortable, intense situations from beginning to end. Like, it's so well done. I think one thing King does very well is like the tight, confined spaces like Gerald's Game and Misery. I think that's something he does very well. I know people love him for his big, expansive works, but there's something just so effective about the the tight, small scope of these stories. Claustrophobia is what King does, I think, best. All right. And this brings us to our number six. People say where there's life, there's hope. And I have no quarrel with that. But I also believe the reverse. There is hope. Therefore, I live. Revival. And let's talk about it. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> In a small New England town over half a century ago, a shadow falls over a small boy playing with his toy soldiers. Charles Jacobs, along with his beautiful wife, will transform the local church. The men and boys are all a bit in love with Mrs. Jacobs. The women and girls feel the same about Reverend Jacobs, including Jamie's mother and beloved sister, Claire. 
With Jamie, the Reverend shares a deeper bond based on a secret obsession. When tragedy strikes the Jacobs family, this charismatic preacher curses God, mocks all religious beliefs, and is banished from the shocked town. Jamie has demons of his own. Wed to his guitar from the age of 13, he plays in bands across the country, living the nomadic style of a bar band, rock and roll, while fleeing from his family's horrific loss. In his mid-30s, addicted to heroin, stranded, and desperate, Jamie meets Charles Jacobs again, with profound consequences for both men. Their bond becomes a pact beyond even the devil's devising, and Jamie discovers that revival has many meanings. Dun, dun, dun. This is a controversial pick, personally. For you, have you read it? <laughs> no, but again, reputation, um, uh, opinions of whom I trust. I don't know why it's number six, guys. Here's the thing. OG listeners of the podcast might remember that the first year-end episode that we did, we did a best books and a worst books. And you may not remember. <laughs> Some of you may remember. This was my worst book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of the year. <laughs> this was a book I physically threw across the room. I won't lie. Um, and guys, I mean absolutely no disrespect for the people that voted for Revival here, okay? This is not this is not intending to be disrespectful, but I actually, there's a part of me that wondered if this wasn't a organized effort to troll <laughs> Steph. No, I don't believe that at all. There is so much love for this book. And my issue is with the ending, where I understand thematically with the themes of the book where it fits to me i felt like the way it was done came out of nowhere and i felt betrayed as a reader but some people genuinely like when they talk about stephen king's great endings will mention revival so it works for some people it did not work for me right and i happen to have been cursed with most of my friends that have read stephen king or read that read as a pastime um, I have yet to find one personally that enjoyed revival. So I even even third hand information, I don't have much to go on in terms of what makes this appealing. Um, I will say that just reading the synopsis, it does seem interesting. Here's the thing. The ending hurt me so bad because I loved most of the book up until that point, And I uh, okay. felt like I was done dirty. So this is literally a case of Stephen King is horrible at writing endings. I felt like that. I was like, this is evidence of that. This book could have been perfect. <laughs> okay. Um, like, I really loved it. It spans a long amount of time. You see these characters go through such big changes in who they are and their philosophies about things. And I mean, the ending is revival has many meanings and you literally see that there is you know, the cover that has the the circus tent. And, you know, he was a minister. So there's like that kind of a revival. Like there's a lot going on thematically that I thought was done very well. Yeah. But I hated that ending. <laughs> like I said, this is the one that surprised me the most for how high it was up on the list. In in just terms of, like I said, anecdotal reputation. But again, a lot of people came in to support it. It's, it's... It was on Twitter. It was a lot of you Twitter people came for this. So Twitter put revival just shy of the top five. Yeah, I won't forget that. <laughs> Speaking of number five. Oh, yeah. So you're going to do the voice. 
No. The main accent, you got to. I don't know how to do the accent. So, here's number five. <laughs> My God. You almost got me wanting to try it. <laughs> Sometimes, dead is better. There we go. <laughs> Hello, Freezer friends. P.T. Hilton here. Multiple Stephen King stories have seeped into the public consciousness, but the book I've selected to talk about is probably one of our greatest modern-day fairy tales, and that's Pet Cemetery. This book is such a great example of how King deals honestly with the psychology of what it would be like to experience something you truly could not explain. For all the great twists and turns in Pet Cemetery, much of the page count is devoted to how Lewis Creed's understanding of reality has changed. He's a different person after he experiences the supernatural, and that drives his actions throughout the story as much as his grief does. Stephen King understands that being unmoored from the world of science and logic might be the most terrifying thing of all. Hello, it's Alex from Hey Little Thrifter. My favourite Stephen King novel is Pet Cemetery. It's dark, emotional, and creepy. It's such an excellent read. Pet Cemetery. There you go. This one, I honestly may have predicted it to be higher. I thought this was going to be top three. Like, I, I would have bet money that this was top three. A lot of people thought this would be top. When we, we finished last episode and we asked for your predictions, we got messages and we got posts, people predicting what was top three. Most people had Pet Cemetery in that top three. Here it is at number five. So, uh, Steph, uh, what, what exactly is Pet Cemetery about? <clears throat> the road in front of Dr. Lewis Creed's rural main home frequently claims the lives of neighborhood pets. Lewis has recently moved from Chicago to Ludlow with his wife, Rachel, their children, and pet cat. Near their house, local children have created a cemetery for the dogs and cats killed by the steady stream of transports on the busy highway. Deeper in the woods lies another graveyard, an ancient Indian burial ground, whose sinister properties Lewis discovers when the family cat is killed. This is iconic, Kane. This is... When, when someone tries to name... Say when they try to name five Stephen King novels, Pet Cemetery is generally going to be one of them. This is one that me and Steph actually buddy read um, earlier this year, and it was it was great. I yeah, I loved this book. This is again in my top for Stephen King books. It's like Gerald's Game, Pet Cemetery, and others. We're not gonna <laughs> spoilers on that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just loved the themes of grief and i know we talked about this when we read it together but how there's characters that are so cemented in what their philosophies on life and death are until they are touched by a death that's close to them and then you know their philosophies are really put to the test and there's just some famous viscerally horrifying scenes in here and i think if you read this as a parent of small children it just adds an extra layer of horrifying to it um yeah a truly an amazing book in a book that has death of an infant a toddler same thing death of a toddler and you were still able to say how amazing it is Mm -hmm. that shows skill yeah because i mean that's not something that my understanding not putting words in your mouth but that's something that i interpret as something that's very difficult for an author to do well and do right with you and still kind of enjoy the story. Well, he didn't linger too much on the when it happened. It was more like there was a lead up and then we deal with like after. Right. It wasn't like this horrifying scene that we're going to paint and linger in for a chapter. 
So I think that would have been a bit much. Yeah, this one definitely got the most audio clips. Yes. A lot of you came to bat for this, and I was not surprised. And uh, and Jocelyn in the Goodreads group said, I'm obsessed with Pet Cemetery. I love how it touches on universal human themes of family, death, grief, guilt, and faith. It was much more than a horror novel to me. I would probably say it's my favorite. I hated the new movie adaptation that came out this year, though. It was really not good. I heard that. <laughs> I haven't seen the new one yet. I like the original one, but I did not see yeah. the new remake yet. Yeah, I, I've heard the. I have not heard great things about the new adaptation. That makes me sad. Yeah, it looked kind of cool in the trailer. I always get tricked by trailers, though. They just got to put like cool, tense music or like a cool song, and I'm like, do I want to watch this movie? Also, I know we talked about this is one where. Stephen King really sticks the landing on that ending. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Somewhat ambiguous, but still very conclusive at the same time. I really I really liked it. It's one of the few Stephen King endings I really did enjoy. And that's going to bring us to our number four. The basis of all human fears, he thought. A closed door, slightly ajar. Hi, this is Jason White from Jason's Weird Reads and the Darkness Dwells podcast. My, uh... My favorite Stephen King novel. There's so many really good ones. I like his earlier work best. But I think I'm going to go with Salem's Lot. I usually do. And the reason for this is because I really absolutely love the town of Jerusalem's Lot. It's so fully realized. It's uh, it's incredible to read about this town. And uh, uh, the characters are pretty good. But what I really like also are the vampires. They're nasty. They're mean. <laughs> and they're, uh, I think they're what vampires should be. Salem's Lot. So what's Salem's Lot about? Salem's Lot is not about the Salem witch trials. Oh, it is not. <laughs> uh, thousands of miles away from the small township of Salem's Lot, two terrified people, a man and a boy, still share the secrets of these clapboard houses and tree-lined streets. They must return to Salem's Lot for a final confrontation with the unspeakable evil that lives on in the town. Have you read this one? No. I read it, I think, like two years ago. I've read bits and pieces of it. I've read excerpts. Um, This is the one where there's a montage of death, I believe, at one point. It's like short chapters where people just die in the end of it. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember there were specific scenes from this that I, I remember that stick out to me. I haven't seen the adaptation, but I know a lot of people like that. Um, I thought this one would be top three. Like, it, I said the top three was going to be in the number three spot. It was either going to be Salem's Lot or Pet Cemetery. That was my guess. Yeah. I know a lot of people love it. I could see Salem's Lot being like four or five. I probably would have predicted four or five for Salem's Lot. Like, it's... It's definitely a very recognizable one, not an obscure one by any means. But I feel like I, I think that gets etched out by by, by things like Pet Cemetery, by Carrie, um, and some of the others that are already in the top three. I feel like if it was from a lesser author, it would be a top three novel. But King has so many more that I would perceive higher than it. That four and five, I think, is a is a where I would have put it. But it's definitely a great story. Like, pick up a book called Salem's Lot. And it's not about witches, but it's about vampires. That by itself is enough to <laughs> be like, wait, what? And then pick it up. And I think that may be why he did it. Stephen King is a smart man. So Shelley from the Goodreads group said, 
I love a good vampire story, and Salem's Lot had scenes that were so creepy to me. I remember being home alone in the middle of the night reading this book. At one point, I put it down and looked behind me. It definitely hit the creep factor for me. It was just such a great story. We are ready for top three. So as I mentioned, uh, there was a big jump. Because, okay, I did it on a point system because a lot of people voted, gave like three picks. So I assigned point totals for like their top pick. Actually, that might be too much information. Yeah, but we're not <laughs> yeah. going to the, the nitty gritty. Yeah. So I'm just going to ex- tell you what like the top five were. Pet Cemetery got 24 votes. Salem's Lot got 34 votes. And then coming in at number three with 55 votes. Your hair is winter fire. January embers. My heart burns there too. It's it. Okay, what is it? It's it's it. Yeah, but what is it? You got it, yeah. What? Huh? It's it by Stephen King. (laughs) Oh, it. Okay. Okay, sorry, sorry. That joke is totally not overdone. Um, literally more than 20 votes between four and three. This is one I think everybody that guessed top three guessed it would be here. Without a doubt, this wasn't all the all the top three guesses. Yeah, this is a book on everyone's mind in terms of Stephen King because of the, the adaptation. Chapter two just came out, which was excellent. Um, it's one of his most popular ones in general. Um, but I mean, you know, for those that don't know. Welcome to Derry, Maine. It's a small city, a place as hauntingly familiar as your own hometown. Only in Derry, the haunting is real. They were seven teenagers when they first stumbled upon the horror. Now they are grown-up men and women who have gone out into the big world to gain success and happiness. But none of them can withstand the force that has drawn them back to Derry to face the nightmare without an end and the evil without a name. It's got a good first line, too. The terror that would not end for another 28 years, if it ever did, began so far as I can know or tell with a boat made from a sheet of newspaper floating down a gutter swollen with rain. Oh, man. That that little boat going down the storm drain in Georgie, and we all float down here. It's... I, I think I've used this word too much over the last two episodes but it really does apply here it is absolutely iconic in terms of in terms of the the king universe honestly in, in terms of horror in general like the image of the hand coming up for the little um the little boat like there's people that have never read a book that will probably recognize that that image from how how popular this is this story is I mean, I watched the miniseries when I was younger, and it ruined storm drains for me. And I remember walking home from school and going out of my way to avoid them, even a decade after I had seen it. Like, nope, you're not going to get me. Also, Chinese food was ruined for me for a bit. I mean, I was just like, I hope this is not going to turn into anything supernatural. Yes. Yeah, so Tara had a lot to say about it. Um, She says, my favorite Stephen King book is It. Might be my all-time favorite book. It's almost like an inside joke to me why I love Stephen King so much. I grew up in a small town in Missouri, and I felt like I spent my whole life trying to get away, which I did and moved to Chicago. But all my favorite King books are set in a small town and there's drama. I just can't seem to get away from the small town. 
One of the reasons I love it so much is because it reminds me of my two childhood best friends. No matter the distance or time, we can always pick up where we left off. The book also forces each character to face their fears head on, some more successful than others. I can relate so much to the losers as kids. It makes me reflect on my own childhood and life to see how far I've come, cheesy as it sounds. The sentimental stuff is great, but the horror is even better. The mummy scene with Ben, Adrian Mellon at the carnival, the Easter egg hunt, the black spot incident are all realistically scary. I could see these events happening, and that's what makes King so scary. Ugh. So I read this like right after my son was born, and I remember reading it and doing the audio. And I remember one part that really stuck with me was the description of the Easter egg hunt. Because it was just all of these little kids getting hurt. And there was just some horrific images, which um, they did mention and they did show in the It Chapter 1 when Ben is doing research in the library. Like some of the, the horrifying images that I remember from the book are in like the newspaper article that he's reading. Right, yeah. Um, which while you're reading the book kind of feels like filler but yeah that's what i was gonna say i'm like it's something that it's like you know he's reading this like newspaper article or i think in the in the novel it's not ben it's um mike well no because mike is the like historian yeah that's right and he has like he has like yeah he has all the like old history stuff um, yeah, it, it shows Mike basically as the kids got up and left Derry, Mike stayed in Derry and he spent his life dedicated to figuring out what it was, basically. So he was trying to find the history of Derry and all this and talking to people and this, the the intermission kind of chapters were the ones where it shows his history. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was like that and I was, I remember listening to it and folding the laundry and thinking like, ooh. Uh but there's a lot. I really loved it. Uh, definitely in my top Stephen King books, for sure. Even, I would say, even if the adaptation hadn't come out. Right. I agree. Same here. Shelley from the Goodreads group had this to say. <laughs> wow. Had this to say. What is not to love about an evil entity killing children? The book was great. I enjoyed seeing the child side as well as the adult side. Granted, after seeing the miniseries as a kid, I had dreams that Pennywise was trying to kill me. This could also be part of the reason why I consider it scary and among my favorites. And I think that miniseries messed all of us up. Tim Curry was Bay. <laughs> wow, did I just use Bay in a sentence? Oh my god. Um, oh, I thought you said A and you were going to no, fill no. in the blank. <laughs> no, I said Bay. So you can say Bay, but you have a problem with Stan. Yeah, let, let's not talk about my, my complicated psyche right now, okay? So in like um, five years, are you going to be okay <laughs> saying Stan? I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think there was a whole generation of us that were, were messed up by that miniseries. And I'm, I'm a lifelong fan of Tim Curry based on that miniseries. And then number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's your quote number, too. Oh, is it? Do I read yep. it? You yeah. need the quote, yes. How many votes was it? 56. This is the one that was by one. Yeah. And that brings us to number two with 56 votes, which means, yes, it had one more vote than it. 
The place where you made your stand never mattered. Only that you were there and still on your feet. The stand. This is my surprise (laughs) for top three. See, this is the one where I feel like it is a surprise. And I wouldn't have said it was top three, but I think that would be not giving the listeners enough credit. Because I do, if you look at like Stephen King aficionados, they will say that the stand is like his magnum opus. That's like his big masterpiece. Um, but it doesn't necessarily get talked about in mainstream conversations with Stephen King because it's not as as flashy. It's not as in your face as as like it. I guess it's also like important to the larger lore of Stephen King because of Randall Flag. Yeah, this is a book that basically ties everything together. All the stuff he's done for decades, it all kind of comes to a head in the stand. So I mean. Yeah, this this one is very significant to Stephen King uh, in terms of his world building, in terms of his career, too, because this is the one that kind of is the the transition between like the writer he was and the writer he is, because this was a very difficult for him to write. I remember him talking about it in on writing. But Steph, what is the stand about? You tell me. (laughs) Okay, I will. This (laughs) is the way the world ends. With a nanosecond of computer error in a defense department laboratory and a million casual contacts that form the links in a chain letter of death. And here is the bleak new world of the day after. A world stripped of its institutions and emptied of 99% of its people. A world in which a handful of panicky survivors chooses sides or are chosen. Based on that plot, I still wouldn't know what the stand is about. Not gonna lie. It's like a, a apocalypse, but it's like the biological, it's not like, I guess like a sickness that takes over. I've read like the first couple chapters and then I put it down because I was very overwhelmed. And I remember why I picked it up right after I had finished Swan Song by Robert McCammon. That was just like too similar. And I'm like, I don't think I can read two like a post-apocalyptic epics back to back. I'm going to need some time in between the thing that i've been told the most with the stand is that watch or sorry reading the stand without being kind of well read on stephen king books would kind of be like watching cabin in the woods as your first horror movie i see so is there like a lot of it's full of easter eggs oh for the stephen king universe yeah like um even just randall flag and the nature of who randall flag is um not going to go into details, obviously, but just it ties in so much and brings together so many things that, like, if you were not a Stephen King like reader, you would still enjoy it. It's still a really well done, you know, masterpiece of post apocalyptic horror. Um, but if you know more about the general um, universe, like almost multiverse that Stephen King is writing. There's there's a lot more you can pick up on. I'm trying to do this without like going into too much spoilers because, if, I mean, a lot of you have obviously read the stand. It's it's number two on our list. But if you haven't, it's one I don't want to ruin anything for because of again how interconnected this is to pretty much everything he wrote up to this point and even some things he wrote after. What did, what did Shelley in the Goodreads group say, Steph? She said. The Stand was such an epic book about good versus evil. I really enjoyed the way he dives into each person. 
There are those you know are bad, but then you see their backstory and can also empathize with them. It was so well written. And I think if you listen to our post-apocalyptic horror episode, P.T., who we heard from earlier for Salem's Lot, had a lot to say about this, Dan. I know he's a big fan of the book. I have the uh, complete and uncut edition on my shelf, so I'm a little intimidated. (laughs) Like, it is so fat, it is, like, fatter than the binding. It's a paperback. And my copy is 1,153 pages. Right. So it's up there with it as being a doorstop. And there's that new uh, miniseries adaptation. I think it's going to be on CBS. Nice. I did not know about that one. Yeah. Mm. Ooh, starring James Marsden. Hello. Nice. Okay, the best way I can, I think, describe the stand is that if you go up to a person on the street and say, you know, what's the best Stephen King book? You'll probably hear it. You'll probably hear our number one. You'll probably hear things like that, like common, you know, movies with really popular adaptations or just really popular books. But I think if you go up to, like, a hardcore, like, Stephen King fan, you will get the stand as an answer way, like, f- fairly frequently. But it's it's more of a, you know, <laughs> advanced Stephen King fan, maybe? Maybe. I guess that makes sense. I just thought it would be, like, maybe top five. But I guess we are dealing with, like, people who not only like horror fiction, but who are Stephen King fans. Well, exactly, yeah. Like, if we were to put this as a public poll and not direct it to, like, our listeners and just be, like, um, to just a general audience of mainstream horror fans, the stand might not rank all that high. But the fact that, you know, our audience are readers who are big fans of Stephen King, there's there's a solid chance, like I said, they'll pick up on all the little things and the interconnected things, and that will make stand that much more of a memorable read. Definitely. Do you think we're ready to talk about our number one pick? I think it's probably time. This pick is a pick two years in the making. Wendy, darling, light of my life, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. Why do you have a copy of The Shining in your freezer? Oh, I was reading it last night and I got scared, so... (laughs) But uh, you're safe from it if it's in the freezer? Well, safer. It's The Shining. And no, we did not plan this because it is the book in the freezer. This is the novel that gives this podcast its namesake. Mainstream or hardcore fan, this is one of the top books of of Stephen King you're probably going to get with us and our listeners here. It's number one. Undoubtedly, like most people trying to get the top three threw The Shining in there. It has probably the most controversy in terms of its adaptation as well with how like iconic the film version ended up being in terms of mainstream horror as well with King really not enjoying it um and how they're two different beasts like they're they're basically almost two different stories so do we want to know what it's about yeah let's let's talk a little bit about what this novel is about Jack Torrance's new job at the Overlook Hotel is the perfect chance for a fresh start As the off-season caretaker at the atmospheric old hotel, he'll have plenty of time to spend reconnecting with his family and working on his writing. But as the harsh winter weather sets in, the idyllic location feels even more remote and more sinister. And the only one to notice the strange and terrible forces gathering around the Overlook is Danny Torrance, a uniquely gifted five-year-old. 
Yeah, there, there's not going to be much we're going to be able to say about this that has not already been said ad yeah. nauseum by every single horror or Stephen King or both fan on the internet. Book Wendy Torrance much better than Stanley Kubrick movie Wendy Torrance. I think we mentioned this before. I like both. I They're both very different in the way they approach this story. And I enjoy them both. <laughs> uh, yeah, same here. Um, I people when they say that oh well the shiny's not really a good adaptation because it's so different from the source material but i think no it's it made that story and put it in the medium of film the best way it could and they're both they're both masterpieces which is a word that's thrown around a lot but again it does certainly apply in this case i think gloria from the goodreads group put it best i also love the shining i don't think i need to explain why it's the f-ing shining <laughs> pretty much <laughs> That, that sums everything up in, in a clear, concise, and succinct way. Thank you, Gloria. Jill wasn't as succinct, but she says, The Shining was my favorite Stephen King novel. The first Stephen King book I ever read was Cujo, and I really enjoyed that book. However, when I read The Shining, I fell in love with King's writing. The story has it all, with the sad story of the Torrance family and the horrors of the hotel. I read this story for the first time when I was 12. I have read this novel several times since, and I usually don't reread a lot of books. And Tightrope to the Sun on the Goodreads group says, My favorite is hands down The Shining. It was the first King I ever read, and I read it on vacation in Italy. So what gets me about this one is how terrifying it is to think about a person who you love and trust more than anyone else in the world suddenly becoming someone else entirely and trying to murder you. That is terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like... I mean, what else is there to really say? Like, The Shining... Was the first book I ever read out loud to my son. And you you find that a lot. Like, honestly, this this book is already so popular, um, so well done. There's almost no positive adjective that I could think of that doesn't apply to it. Um, it's to the point where I'm overwhelmed with what to even say about it. <laughs> because, like, it's it, it has all been said and it is all justified. Like, this book is... If I was trying to get somebody into horror as 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 a genre, this is one of the, if not the first book, I would probably get them to pick up. Ooh, especially in winter. Oh yeah, I'd say if you can arrange that, where it's like winter and you're inside and you're reading, definitely this one. Yep. Or misery, misery is a close second on that. <laughs> so yeah, so that that's it, guys. That is the favorite. Stephen King novels as voted by you, the listeners. Do me a favor. Go up in the dock and just put them in there above. Um, By all means, if you guys, now that you've heard the entire list, have any, you know, um, disagreements, agreements, thoughts on, you know, what went down, any surprises, anything like that, feel free to let us know. You know how to contact us. We're available all over the place. Get in touch with us. And with that, let's get to our chilling obsession, Steph. Uh, my chilling obsession is a podcast, and it's called Welcome to Deadcast, which if you read Goosebumps books growing up, you know that is a play on the first Goosebumps book, Welcome to Dead House. So in this podcast, there are two brothers. I think they're twins, but I'm not like 100% certain on that. Uh, But they go over all of the Goosebumps books in the series and kind of do like a recap and a ranking. And I'm really loving this because my son, who's five, is watching the like 90s series and he's really enjoying it. So I like watching an episode and then listening to 
an episode that goes over the book and then at the end they go over the series episode and kind of talk about the differences and I love that they are like legit fans like they know all of the books like forward and back and they've reread them recently and talk about like what they thought of them when they were younger and they were older they are absolutely hilarious they lovingly snark on all the child overacting and sometimes underacting or like weird line delivery on the show um they point out things that are in every goosebumps book like all goosebumps books will have like a redheaded character <laughs> Okay. Or sometimes there's like home like scene layout things that don't make sense. Like, you know, like it'll be described as a ranch house, but then someone will run upstairs type of thing. So like they always point out stuff like that. And listening to stuff, um, listening to these episodes has made me realize Arl Stein loved like a good twist ending. I oh yeah did not remember how many twist endings there were in Goosebumps, but I am like loving doing this revisit with this podcast <laughs> it cracks me up yeah that's awesome i remember that like, pretty much every every novel ended with a uh, like crazy twist where the bad guys win or the monster's not really gone or you're a robot or this isn't really earth like i mean they're just like, yeah. <laughs> crazy <laughs> so what about you uh for me mine surprise surprise is gonna be a video game my chilling obsession this week is going to be a game called 10 miles to safety uh this came out on the 21st of october so it's a relatively brand new game the way this works is it's a top-down game where you are trying to traverse basically 10 miles from where you begin to safety go figure um all the while you are rummaging through basically what's a zombie apocalypse so what happens is as you're traveling you know you don't really make because you got to scavenge for materials and resources and such and it's a zombie apocalypse there's zombies everywhere so you need to go into random homes as you're traveling and bunker down for the night and fortify yourself and get ready for the zombie horde that attacks every night so the idea is it's kind of like a normal zombie apocalypse game that you would play where you're building up defenses and such but you're doing it on the move as i feel like you would do in a real zombie apocalypse so yeah it's kind of a nomadic sense of zombie survival um came up by him from an indie game developer called uh, trick jump games and yeah it's it's a lot of fun it's not necessarily scary it's kind of cartoony graphics looks kind of funny but it's it's a general good time fun fun yeah <laughs> and well that is going to bring us to our last order of business which is essentially and and regrettably this is going to be my last episode as a full-time host of books in the freezer i am not as prepared as rachel i, I don't have anything prepared to, to 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 say at this point in time unfortunately it's just this is a a, a time when i don't i'm not able to dedicate to the podcast like i really need to um, it's been an amazing trip. It's been an amazing opportunity. Uh, this year has been indescribable. Um, I think I kind of, I think I summed it up pretty well at the uh, the outro for the fireside chat uh, episode with uh, Rachel and Steph a few weeks ago. But yeah, Books and Fraser has been an unbelievable experience for me. It's just right now there is there is so many things going on, both in my personal life and even my professional life that I. I 
I don't have, I don't have the ability to to essentially commit to it like I like I really would love to. So unfortunately, I, that doesn't mean I will be stepping away from the podcast. Um, I still intend to be around, guys. I still will be lurking in the Voxer chat. Um, I'll be probably poking my head in Goodreads a lot more often now too, as well. Yeah, you guys have all been amazing. Like the the experiences I've had here has been. I'm I'm gonna not oversell it because I mean this, but it has legitimately been life changing. The things I've got to do, uh, the things I've got to experience being part of this podcast. Um. Listeners have been great. Steph, you have been incredibly patient with me through a really difficult time in my life. I tried to make it not affect the podcast, and sometimes it did, but we recovered, and Steph has been a saint with her um, with her patience with me when, you know, things didn't go like they should. I, I assure you all, this is a very happy time. Um, it's just things are kind of chaotic right now, and it means I will need to step away. But I won't be gone too far. For what it's worth, still be able to keep in touch. You know where you where you live on the interwebs. Um, y'all know where where to find me. And like I said, I, I'll still be around in Voxer. I'll still be I'll still be harassing you guys when when there's callouts for public opinion on stuff. I will be voicing my concerns because I just can't not ramble about things. Everyone knows this. Um. Um. So yeah, I don't have a replacement co-host at this point. It just, as has been shown for the past two years, is like a crazy amount of responsibility so i will have guests on i do have the next couple episodes planned out so no need to worry about that and yeah next week we have an exciting guest but not like super exciting i feel like when i say that people think i have like stephen king on like get your expectations (laughs) like really low (laughs) like i think it's exciting maybe not exciting for you yeah really it's just me coming back as a special guest (laughs) after stop doing the podcast well it's been fun Devin. It has. I'm trying to get sentimental. We've had some really good times, though. Yeah. And on that note, guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for this entire year. It's been amazing. And I know I say amazing way too much when I'm not scripted, so that's how you know I'm not scripted. Um, But that's it. We'll see you guys next time. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. Or we have a Facebook group if you want to join that. You can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at Books in the Freezer. We are on Patreon as Books in the Freezer, and I will have to do some restructuring and refiguring things out, so keep your eye on that. Um, I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or on Instagram at That's What She Read, and that's That's With Two A's. Or on YouTube at That's What She Read, just normally. And I'm Devin for the last time. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Insomni Reads or over on Twitch streaming horror games at Indie Insomniac. So join us next time for Books in the Freezer. Mm-hmm.